Let's pray. Open the eyes of our hearts and minds that we might see clearly the gifts you've given us and how you call us to faithfully use them. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. So, I took a poll. I asked a group of men, what's going on here? Why? Why would Samson fall for Delilah's antics? I mean, why would he ever, in a million years, ever tell her the secret to his strength? Especially given her very obvious attempts on three different occasions to strip him of that strength. Why? I mean, is he crazy? Did his mother not provide the proper nurture when he was growing up? Did he rebel? Is he rebelling against this ascetic lifestyle that was kind of thrust upon him at birth? Maybe he's just not the brightest light? What? What is it? Their answer was, Tracy, you just need to stop overthinking it. It's simple, really. I mean, the moral of the story is absolutely clear. Men cannot trust women, period. <laughs> As I said earlier, it is week three of our summer worship series, Not Your Mama's Bible Stories, and we're going to continue to look at some of these stories that we've heard in the past but haven't studied in any depth, probably have never heard them preached. And Samson and Delilah is no exception, like many of the other stories that we're going to explore this summer when you begin to read the story in its entirety, it becomes a little more complicated, a little more confusing than you might have thought at first, or, it, or than it seemed as children, for sure. I mean, yes, I believe God does use unlikely people to serve God's purposes. And sometimes it doesn't even rely very heavily on our intention or our desire to participate fully. But when you read the whole story of Samson, there's definitely more going on. The book of Judges, which is where the story of Samson is told, tells the story of a period, a very specific period in Israel's history. It's the period of time uh, between Israel's conquest of the promised land. We heard part of that story last year, or last week, when we were talking about Jericho and Joshua and the period of time when Israel begins to, begins to be ruled by kings. During this particular period of time, war is, an, is a constant. They're constantly having to fight other people because the land is not fully theirs yet. And so this pattern emerges. It's a pattern that's very common in the book of Judges and really throughout the Old Testament. It's a very common theme even in our own lives it's this theme that uh, where is, the Israelites, they would follow the law of Moses and everything in their lives would go well. And then they would turn away from God. They'd fall into idol worship. And scripture puts it this way. They would begin to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And subsequently, they would end up under foreign rule. There'd be some foreign king or ruler who would suddenly conquer them and take over. 
Then, of course, they would become very remorseful. They'd cry out to God, and God saves them every single time. And during this particular period of time, the way that God saves them is by raising up a judge. And now a judge, in this sense, is not what we would normally think of. This is not a person who would typically mediate disputes or make rulings over internal conflicts. They did not formulate laws. The word translated here as judge is more commonly interpreted as ruler or to rule. And so these judges, they resembled really more of a tribal war chieftain. And they were raised up by God during very specific periods of time for very specific purposes, most, most often to deliver Israel from a foreign, uh, foreign leader. So the book of Judges recounts the story of 12 different judges. It includes one woman. You've probably heard of her. Her name is Deborah. And some of these judges, just like you and I, as human beings, some of them served much more faithfully than others. Some of them served with true wisdom and with God's ends or purposes forefront in their minds. Well, Samson was the last of the 12 judges, and he was miraculously conceived for the express purpose of delivering Israel from the Philistines. He was born to a previously barren woman who was visited by an angel from God who told her that she would bear a son and that her son would be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a person that was set apart or consecrated for the Lord. And there were some rules that they were to abide by. They were not supposed to cut their hair. They weren't supposed to drink anything or eat anything for that matter that came from grapes. They weren't supposed to drink any kind of alcoholic beverages at all. And they weren't to come in contact with or consume anything unclean. Now, God, in exchange, gifted Samson with, an, with um, a very large stature. As Jeff pointed out, he was a big dude. And he had enormous physical strength. He was given these gifts specifically to serve God's purpose, which was to liberate the Israelites from the Philistines. But as you heard in the story that Jeff so artfully told us, he completely betrays his gift and he abandons God's call. Now we heard sort of the end of Samson's story, but this story of he and Delilah, that is just the straw that broke the camel's back. There's something, there's a few things actually that you should know about Samson. First of all, Samson has a history of choosing deceptive women. He is not a very good judge of character. He's also very easy, easily manipulated by desirable women. This is not the first time that he's been blinded by love. Samson was married before he met Delilah to another Philistine woman, and she pulled a very similar stunt. In that case, he had challenged her people to a riddle, and there was a very stout wager on the line. And they could not figure it out. They had a limited amount of time to figure this out. They began to get really frustrated. And so they went to Samson's wife and they threatened her. They said, look, you need to go to Samson and you need to find out what the solution to this riddle is before the deadline or we're going to burn your house down. Well, she, of course, turns, understandably, and tries to, tries to get this secret out of Samson. Same story as with Delilah. 
She asks and asks and asks over and over and over again. Jeff was kind of nice. He said that she used her feminine wiles and batted her eyelashes and was really sweet. Actually, what scripture says is that Delilah nagged and nagged and nagged and tormented the heck out of him until he finally caved. Well, that's the same thing that his first wife did. Lots of nagging, lots of pestering, lots of tears, lots of, if you really loved me, you would tell me the secret, until finally he tells her the truth, which of course she conveys to the Philistines and he loses the bet. So this is not his first rodeo. That, by the way, was when he first started slaughtering Philistines because he did not take kindly to being deceived by them. So Samson, he's the 12th and final judge of Israel. He actually becomes a metaphor for the whole Israelite people. He continues to do over and over and over again in his life what he sees fit to do. He does what is right in his own sight and what is evil in the sight of the Lord, just like Israel over and over and over again does in the book of Judges. Of the 12 judges... Samson was the absolute worst. That's why the book of Judges ends and they move on to kings at that point. In the years leading up to his marriage with this Philistine woman, he uh, does everything imaginable that is contrary to what you would imagine a, a judge would do. First of all, he runs across a lion out in the wild. He tears that lion to pieces with his bare hands. And then later, when he passes by and sees that a swarm of bees have produced honey in the carcass, he reaches in and again with his bare hands, scoops out the honey and eats it. I'd say that honey harvested from a carcass or a corpse absolutely qualifies as unclean. So there goes that prohibition. He marries a Philistine woman, which is also a definite no-no. And then in honor of his marriage to this Philistine woman, he, he attends basically a seven-day keg party that's thrown by his new Philistine family and friends, the enemy that he's been called to defeat. Then after discarding his first wife because she betrayed him, but before he meets Delilah, he spends one evening with a prostitute who is also from a different people, and then finally, as we heard today, he succumbs to Delilah's pleas and completely and utterly betrays God's gifts to him. And not only do the Philistines cut his hair, but they gouge out his eyes. They completely blind him, they shackle him, and they take him off to prison where he is then grinding grain for them. This is his life now that he's completely betrayed everything that God had, in, had intended for him. I mean, every single expectation that you might have for a judge completely falls apart in Samson. In fact, in Samson, the entire judge system just implodes. He has absolutely no interest whatsoever in leading Israel or obeying God. Never once, ever. In the whole story, does he lead a single Israelite into battle? He breaks every single Nazareth vow. He eats unclean food, drinks alcoholic beverages, cuts his hair, or certainly makes himself vulnerable to having his hair cut. Yes, 
I think God uses unlikely people to serve God's purposes. We do see that in the story of Samson, sometimes even without our full cooperation. And yes, I think that some people are not to be trusted. I also think that some people are terrible judges of character. And love can absolutely blind us, particularly if that love is misplaced. But what I find most instructive about the story of Samson is his complete disregard for the gifts that God's given him and the absolute absence of any sense of call or certainly any interest in pursuing that call. This story begs the question, at least of me, this is what I began to wonder. How exactly do I betray the gifts that God has given me? In what ways do I abandon the call that God's placed on my life? I am not perfectly faithful. I don't always use my gifts in ways that honor and serve God. I can certainly be self-serving at times. And it also made me begin to wonder, you know, in these Old Testament stories, particularly the narratives um, in the Old Testament, there are these really rich images that emerge. And in the story of Samson and Delilah at the end where um, he's been captured by the Philistines and it says that he was shackled and was made to grind in the prisons. That for me just evoked this image of the daily grind of life. And it made me begin to wonder, so is it when I actively choose to turn away from God to not embrace the gifts God's given me and to not use those gifts for the purposes that God's called me, is that when life becomes a grind? Is that when I suddenly feel like my spirit is shackled? The other thing that I find really interesting about the Samson story is that while he embodies all of the unfaithfulness of the Israelite people, he simultaneously embodies the extreme faithfulness of God's love for Israel. This divine love that simply cannot let go. I mean, he loves Delilah. Maybe his love is misplaced, but he loves her and is loyal to her even when she repeatedly betrays that love. Samson was a complete pushover when his beloved cried and begged and pleaded with him. Sounds a lot like the way God responds to Israel when they turn back and beg for God's faithfulness. Maybe we should be grateful that love can be blind. I mean, the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ certainly never lets go of us. Even after Samson repeatedly betrays God, after betraying the gifts God's given him, after completely abandoning his call, the call that has been placed on this sacred life, after he's blinded and enslaved, the very next thing you read in this story, I mean, immediately after he begins to grind grain, scripture says, the hair on his head began to grow again. Y'all, that's grace. 
know if God's blinded by love or not. I have a tendency to think that God sees us with absolute clarity and truth. And still, even so, loves us with this abandon that will not let us go, that hangs on to us, that is constantly drawing us back, that is constantly calling to us and constantly gifting us and working in and through our lives, even in our best efforts to avoid it. But I do wonder if I were to fully embrace what God's given me and fully live into the call that God's placed on my life, might I feel fully free, fully alive, fully connected to God and the people around me? Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your boundless love. For the love that is forever drawing us to you. Please open our hearts and minds. Help us to see with a vision that is clear the love that you have for us and the love that you call us to. Give us the courage to freely abandon ourselves to you and to your purpose that we might be caught up in your life, a life that is eternal. As we offer our gifts to you today, we pray that you would multiply them and that you would guide us in how best to use them so that all those around us in this community and in our neighborhood and around the world, all that we might reach, that they would come to know you better and to hear your call and to recognize the gifts you've given them that we might share in your life together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.